1: Everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Well Studio, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music as we kick off a brand new busy week here. Rhino, howdy, howdy. Let's see if we can uh, account for everything going on, for uh, because we also got to talk about everything that went on this weekend. But this week, in February, what do we got? Valentine's Day, Wednesday, Mardi Gras tomorrow. It's also for those... I'll make it
2: Lundi Gras today.
1: Yeah, exactly. For those uh, of us who are practicing Catholics, it's also Ash Wednesday coming up on Wednesday. So, man, just a whole bunch going on. Uh, I got to tell you that, first of all, the uh, Journey show down at the Mississippi Coast Coliseum was spectacular. What a great time we had down there. It was packed. It was sold out. And what was cool is the Journey boys were posting videos on social media on Friday night, just kind of getting everybody fired up about the concert, you know said there are only 50 tickets left. And, of course, they sold. <laughs> the place was packed. It was awesome. It really was. Great, uh, great show. They played all the great hits. I mean, it was thoroughly entertaining. I saw so many great Mississippians, lots of friends down there, partying on, rocking out, baby. Well, Journey's one of those bands
2: you want to see in a, a packed-out, sold-out crowd. Yeah. I mean, there are some acts that it might be a little... Too much with a sold-out, shoulder-to-shoulder, packed in there like Sardine's crowd. You'd, you'd much rather have a more intimate setting with them, like in a in a coffee shop or something. But sometimes it's not possible with the size of and popularity of some of these acts. But a band like Journey, you want to do it with as many people as possible.
1: Well, yeah, it, it comes uh, back from the old stadium rock days. Right? Oh, yeah. That's, that's where they... When they were popular, I would encourage folks, if you're interested, if you really want to see what Rhino's talking about, go to YouTube and look up the live performance of one of their hits from the 80s, Sender My Love. And it was filmed at the Vet in Philadelphia. And you can see its place is packed. You're in a stadium. And, of course, the field is packed with... uh, with the participants, the fans, and then of course the stadium is. But there's a scene at the end that's really cool, when uh, you could tell that that uh, it is being shot from a helicopter, obviously, and the Long camera drone shots. Right, and the camera starts out kind of zoomed in on the stadium, like on on the surface there, and then it it pans back. Is that what you call it? It it comes, it zooms. Uh, out this yeah, is what it zooms out so you get the full view is left to right yeah that's right thank you so it zooms out it goes from being kind of focused and then zoom on the on the crowd there on the surface and then zooms out and it's you see this this stadium which is just totally packed but that was common at in the day the stadium rock that was fun so you're right but we had a great time and uh the music was of course fantastic you know, being the fan that I am, I belong to a Facebook group, group called the Journey Junkies. There's a bunch of folks like me, sort of the same same age group, and it's customary when members of the, the group are attending the concerts that they'll, they'll post live during the show, you know, shots and, and little videos, and I was having a blast doing that, so we had a great time. Uh, And again, saw a bunch of folks as well that we knew, because we knew it was going to be well-attended. I was sitting next to a couple of ladies from Mobile, and they were talking about coming over. So clearly it was a great economic shot in the arm because the place was packed. Everywhere was packed. All the hotels were packed. All the restaurants were grooving. Traffic everywhere. So big deal. And then, of course, the next night, it's Mardi Gras. The crew of Neptune parade rolled on Saturday night. One of my close friends uh, is a past king a couple of years ago of the crew of Neptune, now an officer. And he always arr- arranges for Julie and I to have seats in the box right in front of the city hall where the mayor and his, his group are. And what a blast that was. It was just so well done. And so shout out to the crew of Neptune for really putting on a great Mardi Gras parade, a great event, also featuring, uh, I know, lots of bands, high school bands from across the state. I can't remember them all. I I don't want to leave anybody out, but so many great bands perform. Love to see the high school kids with playing great music and the precision dance teams and the flag groups and all that stuff, really neat. Canton High School, Callaway High School, not far from here, in in uh, the parade. Several others. Uh, was it at O'Bannon, I think, in Greenville? And um, uh, Biloxi, of course, before. Yazoo City. I know there were several others. A group from Slidell, a dance group. I may leave somebody out here. But uh, that was a lot of fun to see a lot of the good Mississippi high schools, their bands, and, and uh, their dancers participating in the event. But, man, we got loaded up with a bunch of beads and trinkets. I think Julie usually distributes those out to, uh, to, to good causes, shall we say. So a lot of fun. But the crew of Neptune, fantastic time. Yeah, I saw reporting
2: on Super Talk Mississippi News that there was a bit of a hiccup with the parade for the crew of Neptune, but it didn't really have much to do with the crew. It was more the people that showed up to celebrate the crew that decided to park too close to the train tracks.
1: Oh, my gosh. We were, um, I guess there were about, I think, counted about 15 floats yet to come by the city hall there. So they kind of make a U, they go start out a block over. Go towards the beach, turn on the beach on 90 there, and then come up uh, the street there that uh, where where City Hall is located. But there were about 15 left from where we were, based on my count. And I saw it stop. I mean, clearly everybody saw it stop. Couldn't figure out what was going on. And my first thought was, well, maybe there's a mechanical problem on one of the floats. Or somebody got hurt, perhaps. Either way, they could take a while to clear. But we, we waited an hour. And uh, nothing, and so we had dinner reservations. We had to leave, and but we got to walk, of course, from City Hall all the way past these stopped floats that were in the street there, towards uh, the beach, and then to cross over, we had to go back uh, to the east towards Ocean Springs, where the where the um, uh, the street a block over to the east, where the parades originated. And, again, I counted about 15 floats. Just absolutely dead still stopped. I don't know how long it took, but I know we went back to our hotel and then uh, changed up, crossed back over. It was still stopped. At that point, it was about two hours.
2: Yeah, the reporting on Superdoc Mississippi News says that the parade began moving again shortly after 8 p.m.
1: Okay. Well, that would be right at... Um, A little less than two hours uh, from when, I believe, it stopped. But, yeah, that was bizarre. And, you know, you just didn't have any information. Didn't know what was going on. And we learned when we went back to the hotel, I guess the word had gotten around. (laughs) It had been spreading that, yeah, this had this uh, situation on the railroad tracks. It's not often you hear of a train hitting multiple parked cars. I mean, so I just wonder, were they parked, like, right atop the railroad? I mean, straddling the railroad tracks or just close? I, I don't think it was, know. I think
2: they were too close.
1: Yeah, because the train, obviously, is wider than the track right. itself. But Maybe, if you don't account for that... Yeah. You're going to get impacted. And yeah. that's what happened. Well, that wasn't very smart, was it? Man, oh, man. Nonetheless, what a fantastic time. Great, uh, great to see people just out having a good time. I mean, and I saw... Yeah, and lots of families, by the way. Nobody acted crazy. Police and the Harrison County Sheriff, but Police, Harrison County Sheriff, absolutely everywhere, which was just always good to see. Like, we're not putting up with any crap, people. And so, totally safe. Totally felt great. And it's so good to see all the, the families. I mean, the parents and young children just enjoying themselves. Man, that was just awesome. Lots of music and and uh and just eating and and drinking and but acting like you're supposed to not acting crazy having a good time dancing around singing and so forth throwing beads and trinkets all over the place my hand still hurts from catching all the beads (laughs) it seems like they get bigger every year they'll, they'll strike and they they throw them pretty hard we're coming right back in the element well studio we got law professor Christopher Green on the program at 11.35 to discuss uh, the Supreme Court cases last week about uh, Donald Trump's immunity. Stay with us. Coming right back.
0: Hey, this is Bob. and it- Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: We are back in the Element Well studio on the ceasefire text line. That's 601 879 4395. They were parked too close, plus, a train sways back and forth when it travels down the track. So it's great one and took off mirrors and taillights. Whatever it was, it was enough to shut the whole thing down. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I think somebody obviously parked too close, not realizing that the train itself extends uh, a width wider than the physical tracks, and then that's right. They Trains do tend to buff it a little bit, of course, and that's because otherwise, I think that would probably damage them mechanically. It's just given with the tracks and the weight of the cars themselves, so like shock absorbers, so to speak. But um, yeah, I, but it was crazy. All I know is that I uh, can't remember that anything like that ever happening, and I guess you wouldn't think you'd have to maybe just control that, that people would just know better than to get that close to the tracks. But Common sense ain't so common anymore. I guess so. Of course, it it is a little weird that the train is passing through, traveling through town like that during the parade, but my guess is their schedule doesn't really figure that in. Yeah, they don't
2: care what you you got going on. The trains are running.
1: Yeah, the trains are running. Exactly. So, um, but I just wondered in in the past when we've attended, were they running at the same time during the parade? Did that cause a problem and so forth? But nonetheless, all, all is well. Just a delay. So that was Friday
2: and Saturday. Then we had
1: Super Bowl.
2: Whole lot going on yesterday.
1: (laughs) Man, where do you even start when you um, when you when you start discussing the big Super Bowl? At first, what about the 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 viewing uh, the number of viewers? I haven't even looked yet. Yeah, I just wondered if where that ranked. Uh, Of course, Super Bowls. Historically, have been the top in terms of number of viewers. I think of all time, right? The the most viewed television broadcast historically, like the first two or three or past Super Bowls, and then no, it's
2: like the first ten or fifteen.
1: Okay, somewhere in there is the Mash finale. Yeah, uh, enters the list, and that was nineteen eighty three. And this, of course, is worldwide viewership. But that was a big deal. Um, I think one of the cool things was Reba McIntyre, a rendition of the National Anthem. That was pretty cool. I thought she did a hell of a job. And it was just good to see, I don't know, kind of a just normal person doing the National Anthem as it should be done. It brought... Defensive lineman and Mississippian Chris Jones, two tears, played football there at Mississippi State. Reba killed it, ESPN personality and former NFL punter Pat McAfee wrote. I would run through a brick wall for Reba, Jessica Kleinschmidt said on X. She, of course, a country hall, a music hall of famer. Said before the game, it was a privilege to be selected to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl. I'm honored beyond words to be chosen to get to sing it, she said before the game. It means that I get to sing a very special song for all Americans, people all around the world, who have really worked so hard for our freedom and to give us peace. And it's not about me. I'm the representation of this song And I'm just honored to get to sing it. It's a good one. I've been doing it for 50 years, and I'm really proud to get to sing it. So I think that's an appropriate statement from a celebrity, from an artist, who's about to sing the nation's national anthem. It's no secret that some don't hold the same views as Ms. McIntyre, including players And others associated with professional sports that like to take a knee and... Feels uh, like that's kind of died out at this point. Well, I think the attention is over, right? I mean, people just don't care about that crap. We also had um, the so-called Black National Anthem, right? That was performed as well. And I haven't seen a whole lot of... Reaction to that split is kind of what I saw. Andra Day performed the Black National Anthem. Megan Kelly, you remember her from her Fox fame, now does a podcast. Still very popular. She said the song doesn't belong in pregame proceedings. I mean, at a minimum, you have to say, well, wow, I thought the whole idea here was to try to unite us, try to come together for a common cause. Does this unite? seems to divide to me. I don't see how that really achieves any any goal of of uh, uniting the people. I mean, we can't even agree to one anthem. got to have two. It's kind of like all schools that now have the multiple graduations, right? We have a graduation for this demographic and a graduation for this one. Heck, there are even some medical schools in the country. They have the so-called white coat ceremony. They have two, one for the white people, one for the so-called minority. Can you call it a white coat ceremony anymore? I don't know. That's maybe they don't do that anymore. Are we going to start seeing physicians wearing something other than the traditional white coat? I don't. That's a good point. Of course, a number of conservatives uh, were not happy about this. Florida rep. Matt Gates, Republican firebrand from the Sunshine State, tweeted out an exchange he had with his wife, saying that he would not be watching the show because they're desecrating America's national anthem by playing something called the Black National Anthem. So, a lot of pushback. I,
2: mean, I wasn't even tuned in yet at that point.
1: I wasn't either. Several people said there's no such thing as a Black National Anthem. If you have a problem with the American National Anthem, feel free to leave. So, yeah, I I don't know. This is weird to me.
2: The problem I have (laughs) is with Hollywood and their seeming lack of creativity. Because I remember looking forward to Super Bowl commercials and looking forward to being wowed or surprised or to laughing until it hurt. Yep. Or to get... Teases for awesome movies coming up. It seems like Hollywood saw the success of the new Top Gun. Yep. And instead of realizing that's a one-off for a cult classic movie that has only gained in popularity as it's aged, to now we have wicked part one the musical coming out 20 years after it came out on broadway seems like that's a decade and a half too late oh and by the way they're splitting it into two parts for a musical that notoriously the second act is nowhere near as good as the first act and then no no no, that's not good enough we got to go to twister's We're making a sequel to a movie from the mid-90s, almost 30 years later. Where did the creativity go in Hollywood? (laughs) It's either remakes, reboots, or sequels that nobody asked for.
1: Yeah. Oh, boy. And then, of course, the, uh, the halftime show, Usher. But the best part, Sonic Boom, Jackson State University. They kept that quiet. Surprise, surprise. That was totally awesome. They're totally awesome. They represented the great state of Mississippi so well. I mean, that was, uh, I think, an honor. Unbelievable. I um, really enjoyed that. And you've seen the reaction to Usher. It's been mixed. I mean, some people thought it was knocked it out of the park. I mean, just to think it depends on your music tastes. As much as anything else. I mean, musically, it was
2: a fairly well-done medley of, what, eight, nine, ten different songs that he's had as hits that, throughout his career. Yeah. The The one topic of conversation surrounding the halftime show that has cracked me up the most, though, is the, uh, the conversation surrounding Jermaine Dupree's cameo. Because I'm glad I wasn't alone thinking, wow, good for CeeLo Green. He lost a lot of
1: weight because it looks just like a skinnier CeeLo Green.
2: (laughs) But no, no, that was Jermaine Dupri.
1: And so I'll have to admit, I didn't recognize Alicia Keys. I didn't recognize her. With the big red piano and decked out in the the red gown, I, I thought that was good. I mean, I thought that was classy, honestly. And she's with
2: that. she's a perfect example of professionalism because she started and she didn't quite
1: hit her first note, but she dialed it in and finished strong. Sure did. So I enjoy I enjoyed that part as well. Then we got to talk about this uh, little pleasantry exchange. We're coming right back. Stay with us. Fire. element well studio law professor christopher green on the program at eleven thirty-five. so a little bit of a uh, an altercation shall we say <laughs> between uh, kansas city star tight end travis kelsey and uh, the coach there i don't know That just looked crazy. You saw that on the sideline, Rhino?
2: I didn't see it live during the broadcast, but I did see everybody talking about it on social media.
1: Oh, my gosh. He and Coach Reed, they were exchanging pleasantries, shall we say. (laughs) But apparently, Kelsey, not happy with what was going on. You know, maybe I long for the old days, Vince Lombardi would have sat his butt.
2: And you don't even have to go back to the old days. Bill Belichick would have sat Well, him.
1: that's true. You don't have to go back too far. You're right about that. I guess I'm thinking about...
2: Even if they'd have lost the game without him in it, Bill Belichick would have done it just out of spite. I, I agree. But that's the difference in someone like Belichick versus someone like Andy Reid.
1: Yeah, and I and I mean, you just have to believe that he, he didn't act. He didn't sit him. He didn't reprimand him or discipline him because... He wasn't prepared to take his star tight end out of the game. Could have well, made. I mean, it on the
2: other side of the argument, you you want your players to be energized and passionate and engaged with the the task at hand. Yeah, I mean, he might have been a bit over exuberant, but it, it would be one thing if he knocked his coach on his butt. He just made him stumble a bit. He, yeah, that's right.
1: I mean, he kind of nudged him a bit, I guess, with his shoulders, but I, I can't see that happening. With the old classic coaches, the uh, Tom Landry, for example, you know, just oozed class and respect. In fact, you never hardly saw any players around him, you know, when he was coaching. What's his name? Longtime coach, Bud, some or another for the Vikings back in those days. I can still see him. I think I got that right. Yeah. I mean, he was kind of cut from the same cloth. Bud Grant. Bud Grant. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And those guys just had kind of an aura about them, you know, and and uh, it's so I don't know, It's different styles, of course, and and I think both styles work. But of course, this set the internet on fire,
2: no doubt about it. All the Swifties were worried for
1: Taylor's safety. <laughs> yeah. and there was. Look at how violent this man is. <laughs> He was a nut after the game though up on that platform, buddy. Good grief. He was screaming <laughs> Dude, mean, his uh, worst Elvis impersonation? Exactly. Viva Vegas and all that stuff. But I gotta share this with you. <laughs> Our old friend Robert Reich. <laughs> he had to, of course he had to chime in. $650 million spent on vanity Super Bowl commercials this year by lots of companies who say they don't have enough money to pay their workers a living wage. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's another example of how this fool doesn't understand the basic principles of free enterprise. Doesn't want to. Loathes it has deep contempt and disdain for the private sector. There's no doubt. No doubt. Now, it's not you, government, to make the call as to whether or not companies advertise during the Super Bowl and how much it costs. That's worked out by the market. I'm quite sure if they don't feel like they're getting their money's worth... They'll discontinue it, but you notice it's a lot of the same people year after year. Of course, you got to be a pretty sizable company to pay the tab.
2: I actually made a note of that when I saw one of the commercials last night. I don't. I think it was in the third quarter. For is it Poppy? Is that the new soda company? Yeah. Because I saw the commercial about halfway through the commercial, it hit me. I was like, "Is this the first non-Coca-Cola, non-Pepsi <laughs> soda commercial I've ever seen in a Super Bowl?" <laughs>
1: Oh, that's true. Uh, Bud Light tried to stage a comeback somewhat. Now, look, if they're serious and they're going to start promoting and advertising in a way that appeals to who made them the top-selling brand, I'm for it. If they've seen the error of their ways, I'm a forgiving person. And they're turning over a new leaf? I thought their ads were good, honestly. Honestly. And, and, gosh, can you remember a Super Bowl where Budweiser was not a sponsor? I can't. I mean, they've always perennially been oh, yeah. a sponsor. And who could forget, was it the year after 9-11 when they had this unbelievable, just moving, solemn uh, commercial that included the Clydesdales? Remember yeah, that? they were
2: they were kneeling yeah. on the other side of the river from ground zero.
1: Jeez, that was incredible. I mean, really wasn't. I want to say maybe it was a two-minute commercial. It was a little longer than the typical minute, something to that effect.
2: I think but it I, was a minute commercial, and then after the game, they played the full two-minute. Okay, okay.
1: I knew there was something. It was a little extended, yeah. expanded beyond just the typical commercial. But okay, so Bud Light, if you're if you're trying to uh, shift away and abandon your your woke ideology there, at least your attempt to appeal. Who? I mean, the person who thought, the people who thought it was a good idea, yeah, if we just parade a transgender out <laughs> drinking a beer. We'll get all the transgender customers, I guess, at the expense of alienating the people who put you in that position at the top of the chart. Of course, you've lost an, a significant amount of... of um, of sales and market value as a result of that dumb move may have been the dumbest marketing move in the history especially when you're riding on the top all you got to do is just keep doing what you're doing you're going to be fine appealing to your your customers your customers aren't transgenders (laughs) and they're not into all that crap so i give them a I give them a gold star for trying. How about that? For effort. I
2: mean, the Bud Light Genie was a a bit of a throwback to when they tried to make funny commercials. It just, it wasn't quite as good as LL Cool J
1: with the silver bullet train. I agree. I feel like that one edged it out as far as beer commercials. The one that absolutely incensed me, if you can find it, is Joe Biden. This was pregame. He refused to do the traditional presidential 20-minute interview, which was nothing but typically in the past. It's always been softballs. Who do you think's going to win, Mr. President? It's kind of been an opportunity for the president to sort of show themselves as just a normal person. It's Super Bowl day. It's an American tradition, and that's what it's all about. Well, they wouldn't let him do that. Instead, he decides to record a... A commercial where he once again inserts government. Here we go.
0: It's Super Bowl Sunday. If you're anything like me, you like to be surrounded by a snack or two while watching the big game. You know, when buying snacks for the game, you might have noticed one thing. Sports drinks bottles are smaller bag of chips has fewer chips, but they're still charging it just as much. And as an ice cream lover, what makes me the most angry is that ice cream cartons have actually shrunk in size, but not in price. I've had enough of what they call shrinkflation. It's a ripoff. Some companies are trying to pull a fast one by shrinking the products little by little and hoping you won't notice. Give me a break. The American public is tired of being played for suckers. I'm calling on companies to put a stop to this. Let's make sure businesses do the right thing now.
1: So of all the themes and the messages the President of the United States could communicate on Super Bowl Sunday, you chose to attack the private sector and the free market. That's what you chose to do. You know, I've said it before. The one thing that aggravates me, perturbs me, makes me more irate than perhaps anything else that comes out of government is when they, they insert themselves in the midst of the market. And that's exactly what this is. You should be thanking these companies for producing so much economic benefit. I don't know, like hiring millions of people and giving them gainful employment? And producing goods and services that society consumes voluntarily. And all the great things they do for their communities. And worthy causes. Not to mention paying taxes to fund your damn salary. It absolutely... It aggravates me. It enrages me. This is no place for government. This, my friends, is socialism on full display. When but they the, found their new buzzword. What's that? Shrinkflation. Oh, it's such crap. They, it, they
2: don't care that it's a concept has been around since the 80s. Uh, no,
1: no, no. It's new to us, so it's new to you. You are the cause, sir, of the inflation that's killing Americans. Coming right back in the Element Wealth Studio. You're listening
0: to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Shake, 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 Senora, shake your body liner.
1: Shake, shake, so the other problem shake, I have with Sinora, the Joe Biden ad, which I just thought was. Totally inappropriate. And I don't care what party you're in. Unless a company is breaking the law, then it's not the place of government to really offer any analysis on any specific company. Or even an industry, in my opinion. It's just not. That that deeply troubles me. That is government inserting itself into the market. In this case, this give me a break, stop it now, and all that crap. Remember when he was imploring gas station owners? Go out there and change the price on the gas pumps now. Remember that crap, Rhino, not too long ago? As if the retail gas stations had control. And again, the other underlying concern I have is that he's accepting zero personal responsibility. had nothing to do with his policies. No, no, no. That's not the cause of inflation. And by the way, to your point about the shrinkflation being an, a decades-old term, it's like they just woke up and started doing that while you're president? Does he not get that? Oh, yeah, these really, really smart people that run these companies, they've been doing it a long time. You think they know a little bit uh, about serving a market, what it takes to succeed in a market, and just consumer tastes, consumer reaction, consumer habits, with respect to what they'll buy and how much they'll pay for it. they got armies of people that figure that crap out. And more data that you could possibly ever appreciate especially today to determine exactly what to sell where to sell it who to sell it to and what to charge for it i mean even down to the names of the products the packaging every bit of it it's a beautiful thing in my view
2: they know exactly at what price point you will stop buying their product yeah Exactly. So guess what? So if they don't have a whole lot of flexibility to go up on that price point, what else is there for them to shrink in the shrinkflation equation?
1: No doubt about it. And so to not acknowledge that the cost of inputs to to produce all this stuff are up as a result of your policies. Yeah,
2: it's not like an Oreo or the chips in the bag of chips are suddenly worth more. It's that Biden and the Democrats'
1: policies have made our money worth less. Totally true. Totally true. Now, last week we shared the clip of old Liz Warren when she stated that the corporate profits, she was eating Doritos and specifically attacking That's why I say it's their new buzzword, because she used shrinkflation. She sure did. But their profits are up 75%, so I shared last week on the program i got curious i went and pulled up their 10ks by the way that's the official financial statement package that they are required by law public companies are to report to the sec i went and pulled it up looked at it like you're totally wrong here toots no in fact the profits down
2: well 99 times out of 100 when she opens her mouth she's going to be wrong
1: but this 75%, where the hell did she get that from? It's just not true. Now, I'm not defending Frito Lay. I'm just, I'm defending free markets. And I'm attacking her as a U.S. Senator for making such false statements. That's simply not true. Well, that's all she
2: knows how to do.
1: Well, that's pathetic. That's all she's done her entire life. That's just pathetic. And whenever I see it, I'm going to call it out, especially if it's related to these economic and financial matters. It's just not true. And you know what? Again, I say, when did we get to the point where making a profit is considered evil and wicked and immoral? No, it's just the opposite. It's quite the opposite. They just simply... Don't get that. And it bugs me. This is what, what bothers me. what happens when you
2: have an epidemic of entitlement and laziness.
1: And, and their policies have created that as well. But the president... Because you
2: associate profit with hard work. Even though there's not a direct correlation, you can work hard and still not make a profit. But the vast majority of people that do make a profit do work hard to make it.
1: And take enormous risk. I mean, people, they just don't appreciate it. They don't understand. And, and of course, that's because... Folks whom they unfortunately trust, they spout this nonsense like this. I mean, if people don't want to pay the price, don't buy it. It's just simple as that. And they'll do something different. I promise they will. They'll react. But the fact is, people are paying the price. It's just plain old supply and demand at work. It is the only fair and equal and equitable arbiter of wages and pricing, not government. Joe and Liz and their party, of course, feel differently about that. They believe that the economy could be better managed from Washington in their little greedy hands. They're the greedy people, honestly. We're stepping aside for a break. It is time for Fox News and Super Talk News in the next hour at eleven thirty-five. It's Professor Christopher Green. Welcome to the
0: show that challenges you to think, to think deeply and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Midday's with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: We are back in the Element Well studio. Looking at the latest poll from the Financial Times Michigan Ross poll shows about ten percent more of the population trust Donald Trump on handling the economy than they do Joe Shrinkflation Biden. <laughs> Let's see, on the ceasefire text line, we were talking earlier about the folks who parked their vehicles too close to the dang railroad tracks down there in Biloxi. You would think, I just made the statement that, man, you wouldn't think you'd need people to kind of patrol that and, and ensure that people don't park too close. You would also think that you would not need to, to do a do-not-eat warning on shampoo on the ceasefire text line. Jimbo says, yep, former old Miss Rebel Patrick Willis being inducted into the Professional Football Hall of Fame. Yep, that's big old news. Reba actually got her break singing the national anthem at a rodeo in Oklahoma 50 years ago, says Ricky in Aberdeen. I didn't know that. I had Super Bowl on four different TVs in my house, one in each room. Does that count as four different viewers? I, I don't think so. I think yeah. it's per household, yeah. Uh, let's see, Jerry and Ponitot. Is the Who Shot Jr. episode still in the top ten? I don't know. The Dallas.
0: Out of the top
2: 30 most watched broadcasts, 22 are Super Bowls. Okay. Four are news events. Three are primetime television programs. And one is a non-football-related sporting event. So the most watched broadcast of all time, Yep. at least as far as American ratings, is the Apollo 11 moon landing. Wow. Then you have, in number two, the most watched non-news event of all time was last year's Super Bowl. Then you go back to the 2015 Super Bowl, the 2022 Super Bowl, the 2014 Super Bowl. you got to go all the way down to number 10, and you get another news event, which was Richard Nixon's resignation speech. Mm -hmm. Then you have another couple Super Bowls. You get down to 13th now in most watched programs broadcast of all time. And that's where you get goodbye, farewell, and amen, the M.A.S.H.
1: finale. Yeah. But so, of the non-Super Bowls and news events, excluding those, M.A.S.H. the most watched. Is that correct? Correct. Some, nothing was it's above 13, it.
2: It's 13, and then you've got another Super Bowl. Then you have the actual halftime show that Michael Jackson did. Yeah. It rated higher than the Super Bowl itself that year. Huh. you got another Super Bowl. Then at 17th, there's a tie between... Part eight of Roots, and the day after. So the part eight of Roots debuted January thirtieth, nineteen seventy seven. The day after debuted November twentieth, nineteen eighty three. Both of those are sitting right at a hundred million viewers. Wow! What was the uh,
1: the mash finale, which was nineteen eighty three as well? Uh, that's uh, February twenty eighth, nineteen eighty three. It was a hundred and five point nine million viewers. I watched it on a little Zenith portable. At my little place down there. I was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana at the time.
2: Rounding out the rest of the top 30 just for completionist's sake. At 22, the last news event in the top 30, you have the police pursuit of OJ Simpson. Brought in 95 million views. Huh. And at 29th, the only non football sports related event to enter the top 30. Yeah. Leon Spinks versus Muhammad Ali 2. From September fifteenth, nineteen seventy-eight, drew ninety million
1: viewers. Wow, where was that fought? Where was the location?
2: That was in the Superdome.
1: Okay, I was about to say I remembered that from uh, my work days. The firm I worked for was actually uh, the audit department was involved in uh, somehow in that event in the auditing aspect of it. But I remember the folks I worked with talking about it. It was a couple years before I started. On the ceasefire text line, I was a little disappointed in Reba's rendition of the national anthem, but compared to last year, that was some big shoes to fill. Who was it last year? I don't even remember. I thought it was great. The Let's see. Lindy from Gluckstadt says, not very inclusive. I think referring to the multiple, the two national anthems we had. I think it's crazy. Carolyn Starkville, one national anthem, just another division tool for a large audience to see. I don't think it endears people to um, this the whole racial division. I don't think it causes them to think more in terms of racial harmony honestly and I, I think it's antithetical to that. It just you feel like your eyes being poked again. Hey, take this I I just think that's the wrong approach if If the goal, is to is to promote racial harmony i don't think that does it i really don't i think it's just the opposite i think it promotes racial division hmm. just like having the multiple graduation ceremonies and everything else that we we've, we've now divided and uh and parsed just based on racial lines it's so much in our society now i mean and that's all happened of course in the last three years or so in the Wake up the George Floyd situation, and it. I, I don't think that's really the, uh, the the proper approach. I don't think the problem is as big as they want you to believe it is. I think it's a scam, honestly. And I think we've seen that. We've got a lot of people who have profited and benefited from the division. It's an industry unto itself. We could go on and on about. It. There's millions of examples. The good news is a lot of major corporations are starting to shrink their sprawling DEI departments. Even some have abandoned them. Now, if we can get the same to happen in the college and university community, we'd be making some serious progress because that's ground zero. That is the epicenter. And that's where our future generations are being totally brainwashed, no doubt about it. And it is a form of Marxism. It's divide. In this case, it's dividing on the basis of race. Gender, of course, is the other. The other uh, dividing point. Uh, and then climate change. Those are the three pillars which underpin the Democrat, modern Democrat Party. Climate, race, and gender ideology. No doubt about it. Let's see what else we got. Derek and Greenwood, they didn't even show the entire Paramount Plus commercial where they throw Arnold from Hey Arnold. The whole thing is a great commercial, but left out the best part during the game.
2: Hmm. Well, I mean, in fairness, the cost of Super Bowl ad time versus all the other ad time is totally different. Yeah. That's why, I mean, even we were talking about in the first Super Bowl after nine eleven, Budweiser had two different cuts of the same ad. They played the one minute cut during the Super Bowl, which a one minute ad in the Super Bowl is expensive no matter who you are. Yeah. And then for subsequent ad buys, they they played the two minute cut, so they they played the full one. Yeah.
1: It's Super Bowl ads, it's a different animal. When do we add the Mexican American, Puerto Rico American, Italian American, et cetera, national anthem? says Bo in Oxford. Well, that stands to reason, for sure. It's called Free Enterprise for a reason. You're free to come and go, says George Biloxi Agree. Bud Light hasn't apologized for their disdain for their regular customers, says Dre and Grenada. I think that's still weighing on the minds of lots of their former regular customers. They feel like that Bud Light owes them an apology. Someone, on the other hand, said, I'm looking for it here, uh, Rhino, that, you know, what's wrong with advertising? in promoting to appeal to a, a specific demographic. Well, I would say nothing's wrong with that, but it was a gross miscalculation because in doing so, the small number of new customers you may gain, that, that and we talked about this before, they're missing the point of advertising. That's to get people to buy your stuff, not to make social justice statements. This was about making social justice statements, in my view, than it was trying to attract... Oh, we're going to get the transgender buyer to buy Bud Light. All what, 0.01 percent of them in the country, or whatever the the sliver of the population it is which is represented by that community. As far as I'm concerned, they have a right to enjoy all of the benefits of of citizenship if they're citizens. I don't, you know, if they is they're adults and they go mutilate their bodies, I don't care. But It's a miscalculation on the part of a large company like this to say, okay, we're going to go really increment our market share by advertising and promoting in a way that appeals to the transgender buyers out there, consumers out there. Because in doing so, they alienated their core customer. That was the miscalculation. I mean, was it worth it? And so if you don't run ads to appeal to that sliver of buyers, are you really missing anything? I mean, when you consider the cost associated with it, well, we've learned now that in doing so, again, they called it wrong. Surely they had to know that. But, you know, aren't you supposed to do a little little market testing and stuff like that, Rhino? Hey, what do you think about this? Wouldn't you go to somebody that, like, buys Bud Light all the time and say, what do you think about this ad? It's what happens when decision
2: makers put political ideology over actually doing their job
1: and make those decisions in a vacuum without guidance, coming right back.
0: They're still a midday's with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this on Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do.
1: On the ceasefire text line, Bud should put Trump on their Bud Light. <laughs>
2: Wouldn't that? Couldn't that also be argued as putting
1: political ideology over doing your job? It, it would, and I—I I mean, again, they're a private company; they can do whatever they want. As far as I'm concerned, it, you know, the the fact that they engaged a, a transgender person to promote Bud Light, I just I, think was a bad business move.
2: I just think it's a little silly to expect a international beer brand to apologize for making a decision you didn't like. Like I, I, I can't quite wrap my head around the the need for that. The the want for an apology from
1: a brand. I think the the concern I would have if I'm if I'm the decision maker of Bud Light is that you would obviously opened up a can of worms that you could never get out of i mean you know you know you get opinions from both sides so it's it's almost like the more you talk about it and in this case if you came out and apologized i i, I just think that that would be received negatively even by the people to whom you're apologizing well, we told you. I, I don't know. So I don't think there's a an easy solution there. I right mean... Time, maybe, heals it.
2: If you, if you set aside the, the conversation on whether or not Bud Light should apologize, because, like I've said, I, I can't quite wrap my head around the need for that. When you look at the timing of all of this and how long it's taken them to realize maybe they've made a misstep, it feels like if they are going to regain market share... They're going to have to do it from the ground up because they've lost so much ground and took so much time
1: to course correct. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think this weekend the ads were a pretty clear attempt to do so, to try to to uh, mend that fracture, if you will, and and uh, use spokespeople and ads with a completely different theme. But looks like it's a return to to uh, their their core market, an appeal to their core market. For their product we'll see how effective that is I mean it's a tough one you've you made a pretty grave mistake and, and I, I'm just saying from a business perspective I mean we could argue about the the social merits or liabilities of the transgender ad Dylan Mulvaney but that's I'm just looking at apart from that I'm just looking at it strictly from a business perspective it's the evidence is clear that was a bad business move. Your sales went down. Your market cap went down. And then you your brand, gave your
2: customers, your former customers now, enough time to find a new brand with which to give their loyalty. Oh, that's
1: true. That's true. You opened that door up. So, man, just overall, it was just the, one of the worst business decisions of all time. You're riding on the top of the world. And most people associate Like the map of most
2: popular beer brands <clears throat> used to be... A very blue map with some red and some greens and yellows sprinkled here and there. Now, if you look at a map of the most popular beers by state, you can basically cut America in half horizontally, and it's
1: Modelo. Yeah. It's taking over the South. And I'm seeing that a lot. No doubt about it. Um, and so, again, that was just a bad move on their part. They just miscalculated grossly. But, again, it it does kind of look like this was all driven by someone in the company, the person who came up with the idea, made the call, who had an agenda. So It was a political, social justice agenda, if you will. I'm going to show you kind of deal. And it just backfired big time. So... How that person survives in their job. And, and it's another situation where you put social justice uh, what you deem to be social justice, let's put it that way. Your idea of it, your definition of it, ahead of profit. That's what you that's what you're doing. Keith and Baden says they cut back on the quantity so they wouldn't have to go up on the price. Yeah, that's that's what shrinkflation essentially is. Uh, Keith, that that's kind of how it's defined. Okay, well, we don't want to go up on the price because people are more price sensitive, and they'll notice that and may not be as inclined to buy our product. So we'll just reduce the quantity, cut costs down to be more in in line with the price in terms of producing the gross margin we need on that product. Now, I got to tell you, I haven't, I don't look at the weights on bags of chips, honestly, but uh, I I haven't noticed. That's just me. Well, the the one
2: big example of shrinkflation, which is why I say it's funny that it's their new buzzword. They just learned a new word, so they're going to use it as much as possible. Because I remember, gosh, it's been five, ten years ago now, it became a joke about Cadbury eggs. Yeah. Because Cadbury cream eggs, I don't ever remember them being the size of a grade-A large egg, but they were a decent size Cadbury cream egg. And now you go buy a Cadbury cream egg, and it's a little bit bigger than a quail's egg. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's nothing new at all.
1: uh, Yeah, it's not a new phenomenon. But again, let the market decide. It's not for government to even comment on. It's just totally inappropriate. But that's because this is a president who knows that he has a huge liability going into a general election, and that is... The vast majority of voters think that he is not doing a good job with respect to the economy. That, that is absolutely universal in the polls, shows that former President Trump is more trusted in, in uh, that area. And people are still stinging from the inflation that's been uh, imposed upon their lives since he's been in office, and they associate it with him and his policies. And that's difficult to overcome. So rather than even thinking about enacting policy that might address that situation, now they just start blaming everybody else. Well, that's the mark mark of a weak person. That is not the mark of a strong leader whatsoever. And it's it's the mark of someone who's only concerned about power. And is trying to point fingers and blame everybody else constantly. And he's been doing that since he's been in office. I think the voters are sick of that. They're weary of that. Rusty says, I remember when Wrigley started putting seven sticks of the gum in a package because the government froze the prices on a five-stick pack years ago. I believe, Rusty, that's from World War II when we did have price controls in place. I think that's when that happened, if I'm not mistaken. I know there were some other um, regulations and controls instituted by the federal government during World War II with respect to certain materials. I think tin was one of them, if I'm not mistaken. And there's some others as well. But that was due to the war. I mean, that was driven by shortage of materials and supplies and the need for certain materials to, to build milita- military assets to fight the war. But I hear you. What do you think about the drunk fest at the Waste Management? Yeah, man, that was something. The uh, Phoenix Open, Waste Management, of course, the the title sponsor. Playoff hole. And Taylor, uh, Nick Taylor, of course, won the thing with a long putt. It was incredible. 11-foot putt, second playoff hole. Yeah, that's the... Hole 16, where the huge gallery, I've seen estimates of up to 15, 18,000 gathered around that hole, and uh, they, of course, people are carrying on and having fun and drinking, and I think somebody actually fell out of one of the boxes, if I'm not mistaken.
2: There was some Mardi Gras-style flashing.
1: Yes, and you're going to expect, of course, lots of heckling, and I mean, if you're looking for it to be quiet... While you're addressing your ball and about to pull the trigger on a swing, which is typical at PGA tournaments, forget about it on that hole or at that tournament. I think uh Well,
2: but this one got even crazier and a little out of hand than years past because they had to cut off alcohol sales for the entire venue.
1: Right. Can't ever remember that happening. I mean it was totally out of hand. No doubt about it. I mean, people just come pretty much to drink. That's what they come for. I wonder how many people are actually golf fans that are in in those boxes uh, around the hole there. And, of course, they have time. I mean, it takes a while for the tour to come through, for the players to come through. And Oh, gosh. The galleries just get fired up, and it's causing a problem. I think Zach Johnson even said something, a professional golfer. He basically had enough said shut up <laughs> of course that makes get even rowdier um, somebody said it I'm just sick of it just shut up Johnson said to a group of fans before security stepped in this was on the par 5 15th that wasn't even on the, on the 16th there where the big crowds are and then I think Billy Horschel as well he unloaded on some fans <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh Craziness! I've been to that tournament. It is just wild, man. That's twenty-something years ago. We are coming right back with Law Professor Christopher Green from the University of Mississippi Law School. Stay with us.
0: Midday's with Gerard Gibbert. It is on <laughs> on Super Talk Mississippi.
1: Welcome back, everyone. It's midday's live from the Element Well Studio. We welcome to the program now. It's Law Professor Christopher Green from the University of Mississippi Law School. Professor, always good to see you, sir. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, the former president is going to be busy this week. It looks like he's got lots of legal matters in which uh, he will he be attending or that will be argued uh, for. Or against him on various fronts but more importantly last week we got um, we had arguments in front of the, the United States Supreme Court as to whether or not the state of Colorado can remove mr. Trump from the ballot and all indications are professor that the Supreme Court is going to overturn the state of Colorado's actions so, certainly that seems to be the case even um, the more left-leaning justices on the court seem skeptical of Colorado's action. What was your take on it?
3: Oh yeah, that was definitely uh, what how I how I read it. When Justice Kagan came in and started really going going on a, a, a tear about the pragmatic uh, problems that she saw about having different states do different things. Um, I immediately thought, "Wow, okay, this is going to look an awful lot like this Chiaffalo case from uh, four years ago, which she wrote, and uh, a lot of people in the uh, original meaning uh, crowd thought Chiafalo was uh, was terrible, frankly." Um, and uh, I think they're probably going to be similarly disappointed with the way that, that it looks like uh, they're going to going to resolve this. Um, but uh, I so I actually was I just uh, came back from a um, a conference in San Diego uh, where some of the leading proponents, pro and con of the Section three theory. We had a debate Saturday morning uh, and some of those folks, um, I mean, kind of bless their hearts. They, they look at the arguments <laughs> they're presenting and they say, well, once the U.S. Supreme Court sits down and, and really thinks about it, really thinks about it. Uh, they will not have uh, the ability to uh, say things that uh, that are wrong. And uh, mm-hmm. I mean, oh, I just <laughs> I think they are quite able to say things that are wrong. Um, so if you read if you read Federalist sixty eight uh, about you know the whole point of the system is to have different uh, uh, elections in different states. It's not one presidential election. It's fifty one. Uh, if you read Federalist sixty eight. You're going to be very disappointed with the kind of opinion that they seem to be uh, getting ready to write. But uh, you know, the federalist paper is not going to take life and you know knock the knock the pen out of uh, Justice Kagan's hand.
1: Well, and, and I can't remember which justice specifically, uh, Professor, but one actually made the statement. I'm paraphrasing a bit. Um, I think to counsel uh, to. Uh, the plaintiffs' counsel there that hey, should we let one state decide who is our president? That's essentially what you're arguing here. Could that power be vested in just a single state? And
3: and yeah, I, that was Justice Kagan. That was her first initial okay. initial okay. thing. And uh, you know the response that well, no, we're not. We're making not making a decision for the whole country. We're just you know making a decision for our electoral votes. Uh, and it's kind of chaotic, but it's that's a. That's a feature, not a bug. Um, But, uh, you know, from the perspective of current pragmatics, uh, it looks like a bug. And the fact that it was a feature according to the original design of the system, uh, if it looks buggy now, uh, the court seems to be willing to to try to make the system less buggy.
1: Something we've talked about uh, when uh, the the arguments were being heard uh, last week, is while we were on the show, but we, we dove into the explicit language in the Section 3, 14th Amendment, And that's where it gets a little confusing, Professor. Hopefully you could help us out with this, where it says that a person I can make
3: you more confused.
1: (laughs) A person could be disqualified if they quote, engaged in an insurrection. So sir, isn't that subject to interpretation engaged? It doesn't say explicitly that they must be convicted, which is a much easier standard to prove. This just says engaged.
3: Right, right. So there's all this language that, I mean, really, uh, if you take it at face value, it seems like it's just self-executing. And just as soon as you do it, you become subject to these disqualifications. Uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of questions about, well, what, you know, you know, when he sends the tweet saying, come out on January 6th. <laughs> It will be wild, uh, just how wild was he thinking at the time? And, you know, then, you know, this whole series of tweets on the, on the, uh, on the afternoon, you know, what, what counts as engaged. Um, and then, you know, so engaged in insurrection or rebellion against, uh, the same, uh, which could be the Constitution of the United States or the United States, and then, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. So, right. uh, who counts as an enemy? A whole bunch of questions yeah. about that, uh, issue. Uh, who counts as, uh, what counts as aid or comfort? Um, uh, um, to what extent can you be, so if the president had a duty, to, you know, send people over and clear out the capital, but he didn't do that. Could that be deemed as giving comfort? Uh, that's that's one question. But it, uh, yeah, no, there's, this is subject to a lot of, you know, these are, you know, many, several of these terms. I mean, insurrection, uh, engage, right. right. uh, uh, aid, comfort, all of these have fuzzy boundaries. And there's, you know, just inherently going to be, uh, this happens in the law all the time, uh, questions about who uh, just just how clear does it have to be and uh, it's you know you're gonna have you're gonna have boundary cases uh, no, no question about it
1: well I know sometimes I guess in 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 lawsuits uh, it, it is incumbent upon uh, the decision makers be they a jury or or judges they've got to apply some degree of, of subjective analysis man that, that, I mean, really that seems I mean, like a reasonableness. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I, I can't tell you the number of times in my business career my attorneys would always say reasonable, reasonable, and they would always invoked that term, which always applied, especially usually in any sort of business dispute, as you can imagine. But uh, in this case, are we asking the Supreme Court to kind of subjectively rule on whether or not the president engaged in insurrection? And engaged and insurrection, as you just point out, they're subject to interpretation. Both of those terms are.
3: Yeah, so, uh, not necessarily. I mean, so one way to do it would be that when it's fuzzy, every state can kind of decide what they want to do on their own. Okay. And uh, some states might say, well, it's so fuzzy, we're just going to defer to the electorate and let them, let them vote for the guy if they want to, because it's not, it's insufficiently clear. But Colorado, they said, well, we're not going to require clarity. We're only going to require a preponderance of the evidence. Is that decision? So clearly wrong that the U.S. Supreme Court has to reverse. So it's, it's, there's kind of layers and layers of is a decision not to require that much clarity itself so clearly wrong that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to, going to step in. I got you. And, uh, you know, the, 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 the plaintiffs, they said, well, you know, you could, I, I talk about this, the, you know, do it and be legends. Uh, you know, they could just say, <laughs> Well, we're going to review it de novo, and we're so we're just going to like we're just going to decide what the right answer is, and the right answer is that Trump can't be on the ballot, and that would resolve everything nationwide. Um, it was very, very obvious uh, that they were not going to do that. Uh, so once you get to that where they're like, oh well, all we would be doing would be saying that states are um, kind of within their uh, their rights to do it, then you get this problem of chaos, which the court essentially, I think, is going to. Just say, well, the vibe of the thing is it shouldn't be too chaotic, uh, so they're not even allowed to do that. Uh, but you, but there's lots of ways you could say, well, you know, this is how we do it with juries. You know, you have a reasonableness requirement. Or what action was reasonable in the in the in the circumstances? Yeah. You pick up, pick twelve people and get them to get them to agree. You know, wow. going to be, it really depends on what jury you get. That's why jury consultants is a thing. Sure.
1: All right, let's turn our attention to this other case concerning the former president's immunity, which got appealed, and, and oh, the, yeah. um, uh, the appeals court uh, rejected the idea that he's immune from um, any actions and basically is, is deemed he's just a regular citizen. What's your take on that? <laughs>
3: Well, so the, the impeachment clause, Article 2, Section uh, – well, actually, there's several impeachment clauses. Uh, it's The, the punishment, for tr- punishment for impeachment clause, it's actually in the Senate uh, 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 section. So Article 1, Section 3, somewhere, it got right at the end. Judgment in case of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold any office of honor, trust, or profit in the United States, but the party convicted shall nevertheless be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment according to law. So it's very clear the fact that you had an impeachment proceeding doesn't prevent uh, uh, you from being subject to uh, criminal process. And the president can be impeached. That's clear from Article 2, Section 4. The question is... So you can be clearly can be prosecuted after you've been convicted. The question is, if you've been merely impeached but not convicted, uh, is that some sort of weird double jeopardy hmm. kind of uh, kind of thing? Wow. Trump, you know, made that argument to the D.C. Circuit and it got um, got rebutted pretty forcefully. I think it really doesn't make any sense to say, you know, um, if you can get one third plus one of the Senate on your side, uh, therefore you can never be prosecuted. Um, and Trump, Trump's position was, you know, even if I ordered an assassination, an illegal assassination of a, of a rival, I would be completely immune. In- I mean, that's just, there's no way that could be, that could be the rule. Oh. Uh, whether he gets some immunity uh, for discretionary acts or something like that, but not for mandatory things, and then we'd have to require, like, you know, so, well, did he violate mandatory duties? Uh, when he, you know, said, well, you know, come, come, January sixth, it'll be wild, and you know, all the, all the stuff on the afternoon. We'll six. be watching uh, it. Some difficult questions there.
1: Man, oh man, we'll be watching it. Interesting. Appreciate you coming on and clarifying all that, uh, Professor Christopher Green. Thanks a lot. See you soon, sir. Great to see you. Take care. Coming right back, folks.
0: We're we gonna do this midday's with Gerard Gilbert. Super Talk Mississippi.
1: When I wake up in
3: the morning, love.
1: We're back in the Element Well Studio. I know it's the final segment today. It's a two-hour show. As you know, it's Ricky Matthews, Super Talk Outdoors up next. I apologize, folks. Tons of text here. We really appreciate all the engagement, and, and thank you from the bottom of our hearts for tuning in. We just can't get to them all today, and I, I apologize for that. We really do try to um, address everyone's uh, text and, and read it when it's appropriate for on-air reading and discuss it. Um, Dan in Hattiesburg, we'll we'll get to this tomorrow. The RFK commercial, it was creepy to me. Honestly, I don't know if you guys saw that. Um, I thought it was creepy. Well, I feel like it it missed the mark. Like you, I was talking at the very
2: beginning of the show about how it, Hollywood is stuck on nostalgia instead of creativity. Let's reboot or remake or make a sequel to all these already existing properties. Yeah. And it feels like that nostalgia has leaked over into politics where you have some candidates like RFK trying to use nostalgia as a as a tool. And I know before somebody says that it wasn't technically RFK's ad, it was an ad from one of his super PACs, and you're not allowed to coordinate with the super PAC, so they didn't ask him permission before he ran it. By and law, you're not. Right. And that's why he had to come out this morning and apologize to some of his family members that have made statements that they didn't like him using former President John F. Kennedy's ad as his own and this kind of stuff. But, yeah, it it felt like it was providing nostalgia for a group of people that were either going to vote for you because you're a
1: Kennedy or – I, don't, I just don't know where he was trying to go with that. I mean, there's no doubt the, the name is one of the best known in the world. And it certainly you'd have to associate it with one of the best known names in the history of American politics. There's no question about that. I mean, as far and as getting their name out capitalize. in front of 100 million
2: eyeballs, 100 million sets of eyeballs, that was a smart move. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he has name recognition being a Kennedy But I would think to the everyday average Joe who's not plugged into politics, they might know he was running, but they haven't seen a whole lot recently in mainstream media to show them that he's still running.
1: Well, that pack certainly, I guess, uh, promoted that somewhat, elevated that idea somewhat. Saw a poll over the weekend, says Ben from Madison, that showed nearly 80 percent of Americans think Biden is too old to serve a second term. Yeah, Uh, poll after poll is showing that, and they're really trying to do damage control. Um, is the Biden administration and his his campaign handlers are just to figure out how to overcome that? I personally think it was a bad idea to to have the only exposure you got on one of the biggest days, biggest times people ever tune into the television, is you go out with this ad about shrinkflation, and you essentially scold private companies. I mean, maybe that floats the boat of some voters i don't know maybe that that'll persuade him yeah i gotta vote for joe so we can go after frito-lay i mean i i need more doritos in my bag vote for joe that's ridiculous if
2: a political promise to put more chips in your chip bag got you to vote for someone you don't need to be (laughs) voting I get it. It's your right. This is a free country. But if that is your decision-making linchpin,
1: you're a blithering idiot. I agree. Kirk from Purvis, did anyone else mute the commercials? I mean, I don't. And, I, and Kirk, I'll just say that, I, again, these companies spend a lot of money year after year on advertising at the, at the highest rate on an annual basis, which is during the Super Bowl, because it works for them. That's why they do it. I, mean, I got, saw reports
2: anywhere from seven to ten million dollars per 30 seconds.
1: Well, when you think about just moving the needle a little bit from a consumer uh, buying perspective, doesn't take much when you're, of course, running ads that are being seen by a global audience. How many tune in? 150, 200 million? some crazy number like that, right? Yeah,
2: it's usually over a hundred million households tune in in America alone and then Just depending on the Super Bowl and the popularity of the teams internationally you can see upwards of a billion people tuned in. Well, like the only event in the world that garners more eyeballs is the World Cup final. Okay. Cuz of its
1: sort of global popularity where yeah, you'll have American 3 football. 4 or 5 billion
2: people all tuned in.
1: Yeah. American football doesn't play. have quite that level of popularity cuz it's for the most part at the professional level played exclusively in the US. I mean there's some other kind of second tier, but not like soccer which is has top tier across the world. So, I get it. Uh Neil from McGee, I saw that Neil's great, man. My wife and daughter to Dixie National yesterday. John from Tupelo, they needed to raise Reba's mic level, too much noise. Hmm.
2: Yeah, the, the audio engineers missed the mark on the national anthem and the halftime show. There was a, a lot they could thought have done so. better. Yeah,
1: halftime for sure. Good job, Sonic Boom, halftime show. Eric in Philadelphia, agree. Sharon and Brandon, if you listen to the Budweiser commercial, they stated going back to the old days. That was their way of trying to make amends, in my opinion. Yeah, trying to. I just saw on the screen here on the business channel. The uh, COO of the company, I don't remember his name, but he's saying, yep, we're trying to revive the brand, revive the term he used. Folks, we're out of here today. Thank you so much for joining us back with you again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.